So uh, our reading today comes from Luke uh, chapter 22. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to that. And uh, if you have the Bible app on your phone, then you can open that up as well. And uh, our notes are there. So you go bottom right down to more and then events and then Richmond. And you'll see the whole outline there. Uh, But we're going to just read the passage through uh, before we jump into the message. So Luke chapter 22, and we're reading verses 54 to 62. So Luke 22, 54 to 62. So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. To begin our message, I want to ask you, how easy do you find it to forgive? How easy do you find it to forgive people? Some of us might say, I'm pretty good at forgiveness. I'm almost always able to forgive people. I feel like it's important. So no matter what the circumstances are, I choose to forgive. Some of us might say, well, I'm mostly able to forgive, but, you know, sometimes there are extreme cases or when something really, really significant happens, that's, I don't know about forgiveness in that, that gets a little bit more complex for me. And maybe some of us would say, actually, I really struggle with forgiveness. I struggle to let go of things because of the implications of what that might end up meaning. I struggle to offer forgiveness to other people, especially when I've been hurt. Today, we're continuing a series that we've been doing through this season of Lent, Lent being the six weeks uh, leading us up towards Easter, where we've been journeying with Jesus and looking at some of the snapshots uh, that of his journey to the cross. Lent is an opportunity for us to be able to prepare ourselves for what we'll reflect on and celebrate at Easter, an opportunity for us to recognise the journey that Jesus walks on his way to the cross, but to make sure that we engage with him through that. And we've been focusing on some of the practices that we see Jesus demonstrating or challenging us about on his way to the cross in those snapshots. And so we have looked at the way of worship, we've looked at the way of compassion, we've looked at the way of prayer and the way of peace. And so this week we're going to take some time to look at the way of forgiveness. So the context for this passage that we have just read uh, is us continuing to go scene by scene through what's been going on for Jesus. And in particular, if we think back over the last couple of weeks, if you think to two weeks ago, we spent some time with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, pouring his heart out to God and saying, this is really, really hard, God. I don't know whether I can do this. If there's any other options before us, I would love to explore what those are. 
We also recognise Jesus' feelings of loneliness and isolation as his disciples are falling asleep all around him. And then last week, we recognise just as Jesus finishes going through that, this huge mob arrives to come and arrest him. These soldiers and temple guards and religious leaders who come, led by Judas, one of Jesus' closest friends, who comes and betrays Jesus with a kiss. And last week, we took some time to reflect on how Jesus responds to everything that's going on around him. Peter jumps into action, chops off the ear of the servant who was there, but Jesus says that's enough and ends up bringing restoration to the servant, healing his ear, and also challenging those who've come to arrest him. But I just wonder if you can put yourself into Jesus' shoes even at this point and imagine how Jesus must have been feeling. The sense of exhaustion that he must have been feeling, the tiredness, the betrayal that he's experiencing, the sense of feeling deserted and abandoned, no doubt a sense of frustration. These guys just don't get it. They don't understand half of the stuff that I've told them. Like, where is this all going to go? And so as Jesus is feeling all of those things, he's then taken into the courtyard of the high priest's home. And Peter, we're told, follows along at a distance. And so as Jesus is in the midst of contemplating what's about to happen, okay, how does this all unfold? What's the next step of what's going to happen? He hears Peter over on the other side of the courtyard being asked whether he knows him. And so once again, put yourself in Jesus' shoes and imagine what this must be like to see Peter, the guy who you have spent the most time with, the guy who you've invested a significant amount of effort and energy into, the guy who you've shared so many different thoughts with, the guy who you're hoping will be a key figure in this movement of kingdom people that we end up calling the church, the guy who has said to you only hours ago, Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison for you. In fact, I'll even die for you if that's what's needed. This guy, Peter, you overhear denying that he knows you. And not just denying you once, but then denying you again. And not just denying you a second time, but denying you a third time. And with more and more passion each time. No, no, I don't even know the guy. I'm not sure who he is. No, no, I'm not that guy. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I have no idea what you're talking about at all. And after that final denial... Peter looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter, and it all sinks in. This is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Peter said it wouldn't. No way, Jesus. I will do anything to avoid denying you, and yet here we are. And so once again, how would you feel if you were Jesus? What would you be thinking? How would you be responding And I wonder in particular what you imagine the look was that was on Jesus' face as Peter looks at him and as Jesus looks at Peter. Was it a look of judgment? A look of disappointment? You've got to be kidding me, Peter. Like, seriously? Really? Was it a look of resignation? Maybe with a bit of a sigh. Well, I knew this is what was going to happen. I told you this is the way that things were going to unfold. Or I wonder if there was a look of compassion in Jesus' eyes as we looked at a few weeks ago. 
a look of sadness and understanding, being able to put himself into Peter's shoes and know the pressure that Peter was feeling in this moment. But even more than that, feeling the sense of sadness, feeling the sense of like, I know how Peter is going to feel once all of this kicks in. I know what Peter's going to go through in these hours after he's denied me. Is there a look of compassion in Jesus' eyes? But it's not finished for Jesus. And this is part of what staggers me the most about this journey to the cross. Hasn't Jesus already been through enough? At this point, how emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, physically exhausted must Jesus be? And yet, after his closest friend deserts and denies him, we read these verses in 63 to 65. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. In the midst of everything that Jesus is going through, now he has these guards who just start mocking him. They put a blindfold on him and they start dancing around him and they start smacking him and teasing him. Well, you're a prophet. Who was it that hit you that time? Who did that one? Who did that one? They abuse him. They dump insults on him. And I just picture Jesus feeling more and more crushed by all of this, just more and more weighed down, more and more exhausted, more and more alone, more and more abandoned. And I wonder what your feelings would be towards these people if you were in Jesus' shoes. I don't think any of us would begrudge Jesus if he said, that's it. I'm done with these people. I'm done with Peter. I'm done with these soldiers. I'm done with all of them. I've had enough. I will do what I have to do, God, because I know that it needs to happen. But don't expect me to love these people and certainly don't expect me to treat them well. I don't think any of us would begrudge Jesus if that's where he landed. And yet ultimately, where does Jesus get to? How does Jesus respond? Well, hours later, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he utters these astounding words. In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It blows my mind again, about Jesus' compassion, that even when he's hanging on the cross, he's got the ability to put himself into the shoes of those around him, to put himself into the shoes of the soldiers and say, I know that these guys don't really understand what they're doing. Even to put himself into the shoes of the religious leaders who set all of this in motion and to say they don't really know what it is they're doing. And so, Father, forgive them. We also know that after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus goes and seeks Peter out and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? This is such a clear and powerful symbolic gesture of what Jesus does for Peter, not only forgiving him for what he's done, but giving him an opportunity to be restored, giving Peter the opportunity to change the narrative from, I said, I don't know Jesus, 
to I know that I love Jesus. Being able to clear the decks, erasing what's been done, and being able to start again. Each week through this series, we've been reflecting on what Jesus went through, but also what it is that Jesus models for us and what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. And so one of the markers that we see Jesus living out consistently is the way of forgiveness. But I think for many of us, this is a pretty challenging one for us to embrace. We believe that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are completely forgiven. That is a part of a core part of what it is that we believe. And we talk about our sins being forgiven. And what we mean by that is that everything that we do that's motivated by selfishness and anything that we do that is motivated by anything other than love is completely forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. The word sin is an interesting word. Many of us have a complex relationship with the word sin because it's very loaded with a lot of things. But in its original context, the word sin actually meant to miss the mark. And a helpful way of being able to understand the context of that is the idea of an archery bullseye. So the word sin was used in that context to say any time that you miss the bullseye, that's actually what sin means, is that you've just missed the mark. You've missed what you were aiming for. And so the question we should wrestle with is, well, what's the bullseye that we're aiming for when we think about sin? And the reality is that the bullseye we're aiming for is to love perfectly 100% of the time. That's the bullseye that we aspire to and aim for. And any time we don't do that, we miss the mark. We sin. And I've always found that very helpful to be able to understand that and look at that through the lens of being able to say, so realistically, sin is all about selfishness. Because it's simply me saying, any time that I do something that's motivated by what's in it for me or what's best for me, rather than others-centred love, that's what sin is. And I think many of us struggle with the idea of saying that we're sinful or that we're motivated by sin because there's a lot of baggage attached to that word. But I don't think many of us would challenge if someone said, are you someone who struggles with selfishness? I know that's certainly true for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone would deny, am I able to love perfectly 100% of the time? I know I'm not. And so it simplifies things down. And we recognise that there's collateral damage every time that we choose selfishness over others-centred love. And that's what Jesus forgives us for. That's what we celebrate and recognise in what Jesus has done. It's part of what we'll get to celebrate and recognise with Gisela's baptism in a little while. This is the core of what we believe and this is what we accept, is that we've been washed clean of all of the times that we choose selfishness over others-centred love. But the question is, as people who then follow Jesus, what does it mean for us to embrace the way of forgiveness and to think about how we forgive others? And in actual fact, is it our role to forgive others or is that Jesus' role? We start there, we recognise that if Jesus has forgiven me, then that means that Jesus has forgiven you. That means he's forgiven the person who's sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. He's forgiven the person at work or school or uni. He's forgiven the person who's part of your family. He's forgiven the person who is your neighbour. If Jesus has forgiven me, that means that he has forgiven all of us. But is it then on me to offer forgiveness to other people or do I just leave that? with Jesus. And the biggest barrier that I've seen to this over and over again is that we often think that forgiveness means pretending that nothing has happened. That famous phrase, forgive and forget. We're supposed to just pretend that it's all fine and let it go. 
I believe that any time that we experience conflict or any issues or any time that we experience pain in our lives, there are actually three phases that are vitally important for us to separate out. There is forgiveness, yes, but there's also rebuilding trust, and then there's pursuing reconciliation. And I think what up and happens for us is that we jump straight from forgiveness across to reconciliation. And we assume that if I forgive, that means I need to just pretend that everything's fine. A bit like we talked about last week. We become passive peacemakers, or I'll just take all the hits, I'll absorb everything just so that everything's fine again. I'll take it all on. I don't believe that that's true, nor do I think that it's healthy. And so I think it's important for us to tease those out and look at them one at a time. But I do want to say that what we're talking about here is very simplistic in a lot of ways and very general. And so I want to name that for some of us, we have very complex situations of pain and suffering that we've experienced in our lives or trauma that we've experienced in our lives. And so this is not to say that this is just a simple magic formula that makes everything go away. Recognise there's more complexity, but I do think that it's a very helpful starting point for us. So forgiveness is about us releasing what's happened. And forgiveness is really in some ways more about us than it is about the other person. Forgiveness is me being able to say, this thing that's happened to me has no hold on me. And so I choose to let it go. The choice not to forgive or the choice not to receive forgiveness generally means that we end up being the ones who feel weighed down by what's happened. And especially if that's significant, that can become really, really crushing to us. And so saying that we forgive someone is not about saying, and it's all fine, never mind, let's never talk about it again. But it is about saying, I choose not to let this thing that's happened to me have a hold on my life. That's what forgiveness is all about. If we're able to do that, then we consider stage two, rebuilding trust. And this is where it does matter significantly how the other person responds, whether they are truly sorry for what they've done and whether they're willing to put the work in to try and rebuild trust. And particularly in situations where there have been repeated breaches of trust, such as abuse, or when the breach of trust has been really significant, such as in an affair, there needs to be really, really clear signals that trust can be rebuilt. And we have to be honest and name that sometimes that's just not possible because of what might have happened. But in order for us to even consider getting to reconciliation, trust has to be rebuilt first. We can only reconcile, we can only have things made right if there's a willingness and an ability to rebuild that trust. And so reconciliation is actually about making peace with a situation and sometimes making peace, if there's no ability to rebuild trust, is actually about saying, I make peace that this relationship is not able to continue or is not able to continue in the way that it once did. And as I said, I think for a lot of us, we really struggle with the idea of forgiving someone else because we jump straight from the first part to the last part. If I offer forgiveness, that means that I automatically have to assume that I'm reconciled with this person and everything's back the way that it was. And it's completely fair to say, I don't know if I can do that in some situations. And so that stops us then being in a position where we can offer or receive forgiveness. But the choice not to forgive ultimately means that we have no ability to then move to the next stage, 
let alone to the next stage after that in our processing. And so we end up carrying the weight of what's happened around with us when Jesus' heart is for us to be released from that and to experience the freedom that comes from that. Now, as I said, I recognise that that is a very, very simple way of looking at conflict situations. And when there is complex trauma involved, it's not something that we should take lightly in any way. And so I do want to say up front that if there are situations that you are facing or situations that you have faced in your past where there is complex trauma that's involved, it is crucial to make sure that you're processing that with someone who has experience and expertise. I'm grateful to be a part of a community where a lot of us have good connections around that and a lot of us see people on a regular basis, whether that is counsellors or psychologists or psychiatrists, to work through the things that we need to. And so if there are some things that you need to process through, you don't have to do that on your own. Come and chat to somebody. I'm happy to make some recommendations as well uh, if you need to do some of that deeper processing around some things that are significant. But for today, though, we simply want to just come back to this idea of being willing to experience release through forgiveness. And so our practice is going to be something that is fairly simple, but hopefully something that is fairly powerful for us, but I also recognise could be something fairly personal. And so I do want to say, recognise that there are a number of uh, you who are guests here today, especially those of you who are here for Gigi's baptism. Um, but if any of you don't feel comfortable in participating in what we're doing, that's absolutely fine. Everyone's invited to be a part of it, uh, but we don't want anyone to feel pressure to do something that they don't want to do. So what we're going to do is hand out some pieces of paper now. Thank you to my trusty assistants. And what we would love you to do is to think of something that you would like to offer forgiveness for, or depending on where you're at, it may be something that you would like to receive forgiveness for. Something that you know, as we sit here this morning, has a hold on you. Something that is weighing you down very, very significantly and is something that you're struggling with. So we want you to take some time to reflect on what that might be and write that down on the piece of paper and then fold it up. And this is where the fire kicks in that we talked about earlier. So we have set a fire up outside. And so our invitation is for you to take your piece of paper when you're ready and to go out to the fire and release it and to be able to allow that thing that you want to offer forgiveness for or that you want to receive forgiveness for uh, to be burnt up, to be dealt with and to trust that that is what Jesus has done and that that's what Jesus encourages us to do. That is then going to be the end of this part of our gathering. So we're not going to come back in here to do a song or to do anything else. Uh, so once you're ready, you'll be able to write that down, head out there and release that. Um, but there is still an opportunity to spend some time connecting and to grab a coffee out in the cafe space and to have a chat with someone. But if there are some things that you would like to pray with someone about or to talk with someone about that comes out of this, then we would encourage you to do that. There are lots of fantastic people here, and so feel free to ask around uh, if you would like to be prayed for. And then we're going to spend some time connecting uh, before we head down to the beach for the baptisms. So I'm going to pray, and uh, then we will take some time to reflect. And when you're ready, then you can head out. Jesus, we are so grateful for the forgiveness that you offer to us for those times when we don't get it right, all of those times when we miss the mark in terms of being able to love perfectly. 
And we're so grateful that that's not just teaching that you give to us or something that we believe theologically or philosophically. That is something that we see you demonstrating in unbelievably powerful ways. As you engage with people like Peter, with the soldiers, with the religious leaders, with the people who are doing so much to you, you somehow manage to find your way to be able to offer forgiveness to them. And so we are grateful for that model that you give us of what forgiveness looks like. But we recognise that it is incredibly complex, that it's so hard for us to find our way to being able to forgive those who have harmed us or who've done damage to us, uh, who have said something to us. We find it really hard often to release those things. But we know that that is something that you want us to feel released from, not because it then means that we just have to pretend that everything's fine, We know that there are other things that we need to work through in order to pursue trust and reconciliation and what that may or may not look like. But we know that your desire is for us to be able to experience freedom. And so that's our prayer in this time, is that you would help us to be able to identify something that does have a hold on us, something that is weighing us down, that you're encouraging us to be able to release today. Help us to know what that is and then to be able to take that and to offer that to you. We're grateful that your forgiveness for us is complete. We recognise that we're all just trying our best to follow you and our forgiveness is not complete in the way that we can offer it. But we ask that today we could have a taste, a small experience as we continue to step forward in what the way of Jesus looks like. In your name we pray. Amen.